Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and the NFL Draft is coming up on Thursday. And as part of the show today, we are looking for impact players throughout the draft, a guy who can either come in, take over as a potential starter, or maybe in later rounds have an impact on special teams. But the point is, if he's going to be a project in some aspect, he's got to be a special teams contributor. The Seahawks are in their Super Bowl window with Russell Wilson in his prime. So I want to look at guys who can come in and contribute right away. And to do that, I'm bringing back on EJ Snyder, senior draft analyst at Windy City Gridiron. He's also the co-creator of Bootleg Football. EJ, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It is the best week of the year, in my particular opinion, and I wouldn't rather be anywhere else. So looking forward to some good draft conversation and some some real craziness coming up at the end of the week. It's going to be very different. Oh, man, I'm I'm fired up for this for the end of the week here, because I think on Monday we heard that the the NFL, they're going through their uh, trial run. I suppose, of Thursday, trying to make sure all the technology work. We heard that there are a few hiccups and everything, but it sounds like my my worst nightmare was that they were going to get to Monday. They were going to do the dry run and they're going to go, oh, you know what? There's no way this is going to work. We're just going to have to push it off. And thankfully, <laughs> we got to Monday evening and that did not happen. Yeah, I heard it was more than a few hiccups. And again, in my day job, I deal with virtual training. I deal with Zoom. I've been dealing with that for the last year, actually. And that put us in a pretty good spot when all this hit. But the NFL is going to experience, despite all their technical prowess, despite all their money, they're going to experience some hiccups. It is not going to go smoothly. It never does. And it's going to be really interesting. I've heard everything from you know, over-unders on who the first GM to share their draft board with the rest of the conversation <laughs> is, um, which is always fun to folks who just can't figure out how to work their mic and make the pick. Um, there's going to be some some sort of technical upsets, and there's also just going to be uh, a lack of familiarity because the brain trust for any organization, of course, the coach, the general manager, um, however they organize their scouting department, pro scouting, college scouting, they're all going to be in disparate locations. They're not largely going to be next to each other. And that distance and the technology hiccup in between is going to cause some upset, some delay, some lack of consensus. And we're going to see that play out throughout the draft, plus the lack of pro days and having all the scouts in the same places kind of talking to each other, saying, hey, what do you think of this guy? And that sort of group think that takes over a little bit when he's like, I don't know, everybody says this guy's a first rounder. Maybe we have him in the third. Maybe we should move him up to the second, right? That's not occurring this year. And so valuation throughout the draft is going to be, I think, as disparate or as wild or as far apart as we've seen it in years. So uh, it's going to be the Wild West on Thursday when it kicks off, and it's going to be a ton of fun to watch. To me, I get the sense that it's going to lock draft boards in a little bit earlier for GMs. You know, they're going to have to have all of their conversations up ahead of time leading up to Thursday. And because they're going to want to have those locked in in case some kind of communication problem happens where all the draft falls on them to make the pick. If they aren't able to make a whole lot of changes in a short time period, they're going to be on the hook to just make sure that they get their pick in and they're going to want to be prepared enough. So if that happens that they can they can still take trades into account at those last seconds, but also make a pick when they need to and be able to look at their board and know, okay, this is what we talked about. I, I can feel good about making the selection based on all of our previous conversations. 
You'd hope, but we know that the draft is a is a sort of varied and wild beast all by itself. With this or these, I should say, extra sort of um, complications thrown in there, I could see some fun or, depending on your perspective, not fun stuff happening for teams. And it is going to be a little bit different. I think we're going to start to see those what picks a little bit earlier, right? Usually it's the... I would say second or third round and the Patriots take some safety you've never heard of, right? As a draft <laughs> analyst, that's always a little bit upsetting. You're like, I studied guys down to the seventh round and I've never heard of this guy. Where'd he come from? Um, I think you're going to start to see some of those picks creep in a little bit earlier. Guys you had ranked in the third or fourth round going in the end of the first or the beginning of the second and just saying, what? And it's that lack of consensus that's um, going to be kind of rampant this year. And it's going to be super fun. It means guys that you think are really talented are going to fall farther down the board. Well, like you say, it's going to be fun to watch unless it's your team that's doing that ends up doing the fumbling. <laughs> then it's not going to be so fun. But I, yeah. I suppose we're probably not going to know until a couple of years down the road too exactly how this ends up playing out and uh, you know just how these players end up working out for their individual teams. Yeah, that's always the case is draft grades right after the fact are, to me, terribly annoying, especially things that are pretty arbitrary, like a letter grade for a player um, who hasn't, it always who hasn't taken a snap yet in the NFL. Yeah, I I understand that it is a massive click generator. I get that on on every level. Yeah. Uh, but to me, it's always a little bit sort of personally injurious as a guy that studied <laughs> the draft and going, wait, wait. Um, I'm actually going to take a little bit of a different bent on grades this year um, and split it into three parts and and give them a one through 10 grade on three different categories. One is just player skills, like what skills does this player possess regardless of scheme? Um, the second one is going to be scheme fit for the player, for the team they're drafted with. Like how do they fit what this team does one through 10? And then the last one is just going to be draft value. Again, that valuation process we talked about in terms of, hey, there's not many X positions in this draft. You got to get one high. You, you reached a little bit, but draft value wise, that's OK. Or, geez, you took a wide receiver. You traded up to take a wide receiver in the first. And there's probably 30 wide receivers that are going to get taken You know, in the top five rounds of this draft. Maybe you could have waited okay, draft value-wise, that wasn't the greatest pick. And then I'll, I'll sort of summarize those three grades. But the sort of arbitrary, like, this is a C letter grade when a guy just gets picked, to your point, never having played in the NFL, is always a little bit like, whatever, Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, that's tough. Well, let's get on to it with our show today. We are looking at pre-draft impact players and guys that we like for the Seahawks. And one of the things that we're using here for this is Rob Staten, SeahawksDraftBlog.com. We've had him on the show before. He put together a seven-round list. He tiered uh, different players to kind of to show where he thought different strengths were. Uh, and you can see just looking at this particular board, if you go to SeahawksDraftBlog.com, you know, there's wide receivers throughout. There's some definite tiers with guards in rounds three and four. And uh, it's, it's something very interesting to look at. So I'll put it in the show notes, and I'm going to have Rob Staten on the Seahawkers podcast tomorrow as well. So we're going to be breaking this down. But this is what I wanted to use with EJ as we kind of go through and looking for, like I said, keeping in mind the idea of trying to find those impact players that 
the Seahawks are are going to want. And John Schneider and and with John Schneider and Pete Carroll being in that Super Bowl window with Russell Wilson, you want a guy who can come in, be an immediate starter right away, or or at least contribute in some meaningful way. So. I want to start off with round one. And the way this is tiered, though, I I think we kind of have to skip over this first round tier of players because a lot of these guys are going to be off the board by the time that the Seahawks pick. They're probably going to move back uh, into round two anyway, like they always do. But uh, if if there is a guy in the round one tier, EJ, that you see that could potentially fall to late in the draft and maybe even a guy that the Seahawks could consider trading up for. Is there anybody that you see on that list that kind of fits that description for you? Yeah. The trade up one is hard to imagine, isn't it? With John Schneider, right? John Schneider is very much a trade back guy in high he rounds. Is, well, and- he has traded up though to get DK Metcalf. He traded up to get Jared Reed. He traded up to get Tyler Lockett. So round twos and threes trading, but yeah, not so much in round one. Yeah, he will. He will move both ways. And I think he gets a a rap as a guy that always trades down. But if you look at his record, that's not true. So up in round one is is kind of not likely necessarily. But there's a few guys in this board, in particular round one, that I think could fit with what the Seahawks are looking for. Um, Just going left to right, not in any particular order. Austin Jackson, the tackle out of USC. Um, Young guy. Uh, I think he's just barely 20 years old, uh, was injured and is coming back, but shows a ton of athletic potential and Seahawks could always use a great tackle to come in young and stay cheap relatively uh, and contribute to their game. I think Austin Jackson is a guy that could do that. The next guy that really catches my eye again, if they don't trade down, because if they do, they're not going to get him is Cesar Ruiz, the center from Michigan, Mm. probably purely the best offensive interior lineman in this draft and a guy that really could be the next unger for the Hawks, right? It's a guy that could man the pivot and play that role for five or six years. Well, five years if they pick him in the first round and then (laughs) before they decide to pay him, they could trade him to some other team. Uh, But Cesar Ruiz could anchor the center of the Seahawks line for a long time. He is incredibly talented in both run and pass protection. So his name if they stay at their pick at the end of the first round is a guy they might get, but I've heard a lot of buzz on Ruiz. He might actually even go above that, which is rare for a center. And then the last one is just sort of an apple of my eye, sort of favorite in this particular draft class because he's an exceptional football player, not necessarily a need for the Hawks, but Clyde Edwards Hilaire out of LSU Mm. is I think one of the best football players in this draft. The more you watch him, Uh, about a month ago, people had him sort of solidly in the maybe top of the third, bottom of the second. And the more you watch him, the more you talk to people, he could sneak into the end of the first. I don't necessarily think he will, but he absolutely belongs if he shows up there. Um, Joe Burrow, who has, you know, came from Ohio State and ended up at LSU. Somebody asked him, who's the best football player you've ever played with? And this is a guy that's played with the Bosa brothers. He played with Terry McCauley. He played with all the Ohio state greats, plus all the LSU team that just won the national championship. And he said without hesitation and no stutter Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yeah. And they were like, really a running back. You've played with this guy and this guy and this guy. And he was like, Nope, not even close. Clyde Edwards Hilaire is the best football player I've ever played with. Um, 
you watch him on tape, he does everything he needs to do, and he is just good at all of it. He is a threat in the passing game. He's a decent pass blocker. He is an excellent and very skilled runner. He understands. He always ends up getting just enough. It's uncanny. If he needs nine, he gets 10. If he needs 13, he gets 14 and a half. Like, it just never ends with that guy. So, again, not a huge need for the Hawks, but, man, you're talking about that window having a guy behind Russell Wilson that could contribute in pretty much every way on every down. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is that guy. Yeah, and I can make the case at running back for the Seahawks with with Penny coming off of a big injury, with Chris Carson going into the, his final year of his contract, and with Chris Carson having a big fumbling issue this last season. So a guy like Edwards Hilaire, a guy like J.K. Dobbins, they, they don't give up the football. And so let's stay here at, at running back, EJ, because you got Jonathan Taylor, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, DeAndre Swift and J.K. Dobbins. I feel like at the back end around one and the front end around two, it's kind of those four guys all clumped together. And it sounds to me like above all, you would you, you would pick out Edwards Hilaire as that guy. But. Who's the next best guy on that list that that you kind of look toward among that group? It's funny. I'm in the middle of my running back bingeathon, which for those of you that don't know me is my sweet spot. I save my running back tape for the end of draft evals. What people are like, what are you doing? Just watching running tape now. It's the way I get through the draft process. I save it as like a carrot out in front of me <laughs> because I love watching running back tape. So I started, I finally broke the seal like last Thursday. I'm through 17. I have, oh, probably, I say seven, but it's probably going to be more like nine more to go. And I saved the top guys. So I've got that sort of clump of five guys at the top. Taylor, DeAndre Swift, Dobbins, Edward Tolaire, and Cam Akers that I'm just waiting to get into. I, I finished up sort of lower round guys last night. I can get into that chunk of five at the top and really start sorting out that order. I love Edward Solaire. I've seen him play a ton, even though when I say I haven't studied him, what I mean is I haven't done the piece where I watch him individually and nothing else. Okay. I've seen him on defenders tapes playing against him. If trust me, if there's an LSU tape, I watch it because you always know that's one of the best levels of competition for whoever's playing against them or obviously who's ever playing with them. So um, I like Edward Solaire, but all those other guys have great talent. Honestly, if I didn't get Edward Solaire up top, I think I might wait because a couple of those guys that we talked about and one guy I'm going to talk about in a minute, I think is, um, let me just put it this way. The first time I watched tape of this guy this year, I went, that's a Seahawk, <laughs> right? He was, he was one of those guys. So I, I think if I didn't necessarily get Edward Solaire up, up high, I would wait and grab a value in the mid rounds or even, even farther on down. I like that tease for the middle round. So let's continue on with round two and look at some of these other guys because offensive line, it makes a ton of sense if they go with that, their first pick. We've seen the Seahawks. They, they've been really investing in offensive line, especially in free agency leading up to the draft. So even if they continue to build there, it would not shock me. So round two, not a ton of guys left in terms of guys who you anticipate to be left in terms of the, the better tiers. So where do you kind of look and see where, where the best impact players might be in round two? Yeah, there's there's a lot of choices. And uh, again, depending on the sort of volatility of the first round and who everybody said the whole time was, that's a first round talent. Well, that may be the case, but somebody else gets picked. They have to slide down. There's only 32 picks in the first round. It's not like the third round where there's compensatory picks. 
32 guys are going to end up there. And some of those talents are going to slide down the board. One of those places is, you know, depends on whether you call him an edge, depends on whether you call him a five tech, but each gross Matos uh, from Penn state is a guy that I think has a ton of talent and would be a lot of fun sort of off the edge um, sliding into the sort of the five tech role. If you needed him to, it just, he's one of those guys that when he puts it all together, it's awe-inspiring. It blows you away. When he puts hand usage and burst and bend together, he gets those rushes that make you just sort of go, whoa, like not everybody can do that. And he's got that kind of talent. Does he do it all the time? He doesn't, but um, Gross Matos is definitely a guy that if he ends up in round two is a guy worth looking at. Another guy that Rob's got listed here is Devon Hamilton, who he's got listed at nose tackle out of Ohio State. And I really like Devon Hamilton. I think he may even slide to the third round. I don't think he should, but I think he might. And Hamilton's a really interesting guy. He offers you a lot of sort of two-way go uh, at defensive line that a lot of defensive linemen in this draft don't. They're either the big, huge hulking run stopper or they're the sort of slashing, penetrating three tech, but they're not both. Hamilton has good mobility, offers you some pass rush, is stout against the run. Ohio State played him at the nose, certainly at the sort of nickel and dime downs, but they also on base down sort of kicked him out to the five tech, almost to edge in certain alignments. And he produced there. I think he's got great versatility. Guy that um, a sort of versatile defense like the Seahawks could really use. So Gross Matos, Hamilton, I think there's real value at linebacker. Rob's got a bunch of linebackers here. The two that really catch my eye are Logan Wilson from Wyoming, who I'm massively high on. Mm. I think he's a tremendous talent, pure sort of inside off-ball linebacker who's got great range. Shades of Luke Keekley is is Logan Wilson Luke Keekley. He's not, but he looks like a young Luke Keekley in a lot of ways. Great range, tremendous eyes, great instinct, hits like a hammer. Um, almost always in the proper gap can cover passes deep, which any modern NFL linebacker needs to do. I love Logan Wilson. The other guy is Zach Bond, who's a little bit more forward than back. He's got some edge talent. If he ends, if Zach Bond ends up in a place like honestly Seattle, but New England or any of the New England tree, Detroit, Miami, they're going to know how to use his sort of versatile skill set. And he's yeah. one of those guys that can bring stuff off the edge that's kind of underappreciated. So there's a couple of linebacker values there uh, on this board. There's a lot at wide receiver, but again, there's so much at wide receiver, I would probably wait. It does feel like the way that that Rob's expecting it to play out, at least, is that you might want to look defensive line early if you're looking for impact guys because you're not going to get them so much later on. I fully agree with that. There's a real shelf at edge, um, unlike some other like running back, cornerback, and wide receiver specifically, there's value all the way through the draft. You can get a guy, depending on what you need in your stable, uh, to sort of come in and play a complementary role or or even a, a good supporting role. Edge isn't like that. Uh, after the first couple of rounds, it's going to get pretty thin. You're going to have to like a sort of specific talent in the third, and after that, you're just playing lottery tickets in this particular draft at edge. Um, so, yeah, there's defensive line talent higher up and uh those other positions you can wait on all right ej well let's take a quick break we'll come back and we'll get through rounds three through seven and also hear what uh that running back is that you have pegged as a seattle seahawk
I'm joined by EJ Snyder, senior draft analyst at Windy City Gridiron, and we are going through a Seahawks draft board from Rob, Rob Staten at SeahawksDraftBlog.com, and we're getting into round three, and we're looking for guys who can come in and be an impact right away with the Seahawks. And as you look over this round three board, there's there's a couple positions that jump out as having quite a bit of depth, three technique inside at guard and still a lot of depth at wide receiver. And so kind of where are your eyes taking you in terms of this draft board, EJ? Yeah, this is where guard really opens up. I think um, there's some guys you can get a guard high, but here's the sort of what well, I just wrote in my notes, sweet spot at guard, right? This is where you can start to take your pick of a lot of guys that are really talented interior players. Um, Rob has Damian Lewis from LSU, John Simpson from Clemson, uh, Akima Denji, Logan Stenberg for Kentucky, Shane Lemieux from right down the road in Oregon. All those guys are talented movers on the inside who I think will probably play a long time in the NFL. And it sort of continues over or bleeds over into round four as well. So you might wait just because there's so many players there, but any one of those guys would be of value. Um, he has Lloyd Cushenberry and Matt Hennessy down in round three. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Cushenberry definitely goes off the board before that. Hennessy, I have the sneaky suspicion, may go in the top of round three. He also has Nick Harris there from University of Washington, who is a player I really like. I think Nick might actually go in the fourth um, as pure centers. But you mentioned wide receiver. There's a ton of depth here. He has Brian Edwards from South Carolina in the third round. And I actually think in this draft that's possible and that's nuts because <laughs> Brian Edwards is a really talented player for folks that don't know Brian Edwards. He's extremely physical. He's got good size, six, one, six, two, well over 200 pounds. Very, very physical, um, good speed, loves to run over people, runs very good routes, has strong hands. will go up and high point the ball in any other draft. He's no worse than a second rounder. He might even slide into the first in certain sort of wide receiver, uh, not not as strong wide receiver drafts, let's put it that way. The fact that a guy like that might fall to the third, uh, if you're the if you're the Hawks and you want a great compliment to the two guys you got, you know, Lockett and DK, you've got a huge guy that's a speed guy. You've got Lockett who's Swiss Army knife, great route runner, good speed as well. You want a guy that can come in and just sort of take that other side on the outside on the boundary and lock it down for five or six years and just beat people up. That's Brian Edwards. He's if he's there, that's a great, great pick. Um, he's got Cam Akers at running back. I actually think that might come true, which is kind of crazy considering Cam Akers is a really skilled player from Florida State. Um, had a terrible offensive line to run behind and is a very talented running back. So again, Cam Akers in the third sprint to the podium. Great, great value. It's funny that you mentioned that about Cam Akers, because I think that same way and and might be part of the reason why Brian Edwards is available, because he didn't really have a quarterback that threw all that accurately in his direction. Yeah, he had a he had a basically a freshman quarterback who's a transfer. Uh, Tyler Linsky, who's the uh, brother of the Washington State quarterback who died. Oh, right. Um, and, uh, you know, he didn't admiral job as a freshman in a, in a very tough conference uh but yeah he was not he was not tremendous he, he was plucky let's call him that um but edwards is just strangely enough a guy whose play doesn't make you forget about him but gets forgotten about because there are just so many other wide receivers in this draft 
Um, some other places that I look, there's some guys he has at edge, Curtis Weaver, Bradley and I from Utah, Terrell Lewis from Alabama, who I think will be well gone. And then Darrell Taylor, interestingly <laughs> enough, from Tennessee, who I heard rumors about today is going higher. And he's one of those guys that I hear a rumor about going higher. And I'm like, who's spreading that? I, I think he's third rounder lower. Um, you know, they might fit the Seahawks profile, but none of those guys, I mean, Terrell Lewis, I, I think will be gone as, as a sort of second rounder, Bradley nine, maybe. And then the guys he has at three tech, you mentioned three tech as a real strength. He's got Ross Blacklock and Neville Gallimore as three techs. And I think that may be where he might take them in the third round. Yeah. If Ross Blacklock and Neville Gallimore are on the board in the third round, you put your track shoes on and sprint to that virtual podium. Both of those guys should be out either in the end of the first or certainly in the second Blacklock, I really like as one of the quality sort of two way three techs in this draft who can impact a game on almost every down. And Gallimore is ridiculously fast at well over 300 pounds has great agility as a former basketball player out of Oklahoma. So both of those guys are super quality. I don't expect them to be there in the third, but if they are, yeah, uh, make hay while the sun shines, I guess. You know, just looking at a lot of these names, when I look at the the round two tiers and the round three tiers, I, I see a lot of these as very interchangeable. And so I, I do think that in terms of someone putting their board together, it is going to depend a lot on preference and where they see the needs uh, that line up for the team. Fully agree. And what their system is, you know, what they have needs for on their roster and then what their system demands out of a player. Um, if you're looking for a super stout run stuffer to take on double teams all day in the sort of Jerron Reed mode, you're not going to pick Neville Gallimore because he is a he is a penetrating three tech, even at his size with good speed. So you might have a lower grade on him. But if you're a guy that uh, you're a team that's looking for a guy to sort of get into the backfield and wreck stuff like Gallimore is a second round player all day, every day. And another reason why, too, it makes sense for the Seahawks to try and trade back out of that first round, because it, it, this really does seem like the sweet spot. And, and you could probably even get into early round four and still you know, come away with four guys who who could be that immediate impact on the teams in terms of snaps next year. Yeah, I fully agree. You know, I write largely about the Bears and and am a Bears fan. So the the happiest thing that Ryan Pace could do for me this year is trade back from 43 or 50. In fact, if I'm being completely honest, he takes a lesson from John Schneider and trades back from 43 and 50 <laughs> and picks up a bunch of picks because the Bears don't have any picks in the middle of the draft um, because there are so many players here that are really talented in so many categories. You could pick up a lot of very functional and cost-controlled depth. Well, just even looking at this board now that we get out of round three and into round four, this is where Rob has the probably the the biggest tight end group uh, with three players listed as tight end. He has Hunter Bryant listed in the third round and not a lot of strong tight ends, but uh, some areas where I think that the Seahawks would have the ability to upgrade from one of their lower end starters. Uh, we do we do see another tier of running backs here and then safety, another large tier in in this particular round. Well, let's get right to it. You mentioned running back. And the guy that I was talking about earlier is Zach Moss from Utah. Yeah. The first tape I ever watched of Zach Moss from Utah, I thought that's a Seahawks running back. He looks like an upgraded Chris Carson, right? And Chris Carson's been a good running back for the Seahawks. Let's be honest. Um, Zach Moss is that and more. Um, I think he may go in the third, but if he is available in the fourth and he could be, 
he is a tremendous fit for Seattle and I can see them turning that card in very, very quickly. Um, big guy, strong, good in between the tackles, has decent speed, excellent in pass pro, uh, can play a role in the short passing game. Just a very, very physical runner, um, which was his sort of calling card that made me say, yep, that's a guy that'll fit in the Seahawks back uh, room. Uh, so Zach Moss is that guy. Um, you mentioned tight end. Uh, he's got Adam Troutman listed. I, I think he might actually end up in the fourth two months ago. Was at the senior bowl, watched Adam Troutman in person. People were talking about him as a first rounder, possibly the first tight end off the board. People have cooled on him a little bit. Mm. He's out of Dayton. Um, he does have good size. He can be a true sort of inline tight end block. Um, I think he runs like a wide receiver was actually recruited to Dayton as a quarterback. He's an engineering student. That's why he chose Dayton. Um, interesting guy. I got to talk to him a couple of times. I really like Troutman and I think he could be an, a really, really good fit with the Hawks, not to mention a good player on the field. When we get into wide receivers, still value here. And you're going to hear me say that all the way down the board, but a guy that he has listed here in the fourth, which might be about the place he goes is Van Jefferson from Florida. And Van Jefferson is an excellent route runner. He is a tremendous technician. He's got good size. He's over six foot, over 200 pounds. Um, his dad, Sean Jefferson was an excellent wide receiver in the NFL for a lot of years. He is just, oh. he's a guy that I look at as a pro, right? He is just pro ready at the wide receiver spot, a little bit underrated. Um, and is going to come in and just mesh as a second or third wide receiver with an NFL team right away. So Van Jefferson's a guy I'm really high on. Again, tons of the sort of guard fair continues and in round four. Um, Kevin Dotson is a guy he has listed, I think, that would be a great Seahawks fit. I actually think Kevin Dotson's going to go probably two rounds lower. He was at University of Louisiana Lafayette, so he's a uh, teammate of Robert Hunt, who is probably going to go, my guess is in the second, but Dotson is just a super powerful bulldozer guard. Needs a little work in pass pro, but I think he could have a long career. Then Jonah Jackson from Ohio State, I like a lot as well, but some other guys there. And then safety, you mentioned, he's got Ashton Davis, who I think is sort of a second round lock. Terrell Burgess from Utah, who's a sort of, uh, could be a safety, could be a slot, could be that star position in sort of Saban's defense. He's done it all for Utah and, and might be a really interesting fit, might be a guy that could sort of mirror the role that Ugo Amadi plays for the Hawks. That's the kind of body type and talent you're looking at. He's also got the other safety from Utah, Julian Blackman, who's a little bit bigger, a little bit more true sort of free safety. And then one of my favorites in the whole draft, J.R. Reed from Georgia. I hope the Hawks don't get him because I really want the Bears <laughs> to pick him up to be the running mate with Eddie Jackson in Chicago. But J.R. Reed, I think, is is typically underrated. Um, you know, Rob's got him about a round higher than you typically see him in the fifth and I think that might even be a little bit low. J.R. Reed is a really, really good sort of two-way safety that has a ton of SEC experience uh, and played very, very well. Well, let's move on to round five. And this one, it's really interesting to look at because a lot of these categories or a lot of these positions, you see one or two players still at wide receiver, a lot of depth, uh, more depth at running back too. Are there any guys here that you see as, yeah, just that's one of my favorite guys out of this round? Uh, there are some favorite guys actually for the Hawks here. And a lot of that has to do with body type. So cornerback Michael Oimudia from Iowa is a guy that fits the Hawks profile of big, long, 
Um, he's not terribly physical, but I think that could come along. Um, he definitely fits their profile. And then a couple of guys at linebacker, Troy Dye and Evan Weaver. I love Evan Weaver out of California. He is a football player's football player. He gets a knock for not being that fast in pass coverage. Um, I think he's better in pass coverage than people give him credit for, but he's not really a true sideline to sideline guy. But in terms of locking in and hitting people, you will not find a better player in this draft than Evan Weaver. Troy Dye might be a little bit more of the sort of Hawks type at linebacker. He's from right down the road in Oregon. Um, played at Eugene, uh, very experienced Pac-12 starter, uh, four years of starting experience. Um, Rangy reminds me a little bit more of the guys they have in their current linebacking core. And then um, Jason Strobridge strikes me as very much a guy out of UNC's. And people say, is he a five tech? Is he an edge? Kind of played in between at the senior bowl. I could see him sort of revising that Michael Bennett role of being both right sliding inside on passing downs. He's sort of big enough and strong enough to hang on there, but sliding outside and really rushing the passer on a sort of obvious long down and distance ton of depth at wide receiver here. Again, um, they could pick and choose my favorite that Rob has here is Donovan peoples Jones or DPJ out of Michigan. Uh, a guy that I think is, um, criminally underrated because his quarterback was Shea Patterson, who is not great, um, but he has great physical skills on the boundary and could be a true sort of outside wide receiver. And then one of the guys he snuck in at three tech was McTelvin Agim from Arkansas, who I really like. I think he's more of a five tech, less of a three tech, um, almost 300 pounds, uh, over six foot, good length and plays with a really good energy. He's decent with his hands but he is fast at getting into the backfield, can control the edges strong enough. Um, a guy that I think people will know uh, his name more uh, two or three years from now, like we talked about, than they do now. Let's talk about one other guy that Rob has kind of snuck in here to the fifth round because you know, a lot of these guys, I, it, and, and Rob highlights them in red on his spreadsheet mm-hmm. as guys who have potential injury concerns. And one of the guys that he was talking about is as being someone who's who he thinks may take a fall down the draft board is Tyler Biotish for a center. You know, you talked about Cesar Ruiz in the first round. If there's a, a center who is falling down the board, like Biotish, uh, he could be an interesting pickup in round five for sure. Absolutely. If they're comfortable with his medicals, that's three rounds too low for his talent. Right. Um, if he was completely green and had no medical concerns, I don't think he gets out of the third. No way he gets out of the third. He probably might go at the end of the second. Very, very talented interior offensive lineman from the Big Ten. But the question with him is, can he stay healthy? And if they're comfortable with that, that's very tough this year because they did have the combine medicals, but no independent rechecks largely. Um, That's at the doctor or the agent's discretion. So that's a big factor with guys that had major injuries this year. And if he's there in the fifth um it means one of two things uh, people are just super scared of the injury and couldn't verify it or they found out something about the injury and they're not comfortable with right. it um so you know buyer beware of the fifth but if if somebody got a good look at tyler and they were green on his board medically he's a second to third round player at worst he's a very talented player Well, moving on to the sixth round, I want to get your take on this, CJ, because I had Brent Taylor from Roll Bama Roll on uh, this past week, and we looked at all the all the guys from Alabama 
And so in the sixth round slot here, one of the guys that just jumps out to me is Anthony Jennings, because when I talk to Brent, uh, one of the things that he said is if Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings were on the board at the same spot, he would take Anthony Jennings just based on his gamer mentality. Maybe doesn't have the physical upside that Terrell Lewis has, but he loves his consistency. Yeah, the NFL loves potential, and Terrell Lewis is dripping with potential. He is long, he is fast, he is rangy, and again, on the rushes where he puts it all together, you kind of go, whoa, um, not many guys could do that, and NFL types will think they can get that out of him every down, and if they can, he'll be an all-pro, at least a pro bowler, but uh, Anthony Jennings doesn't have those kind of flashes, but I can appreciate Brent's uh, take on that, that he is strong, he is solid, he does his job, Saban loves guys like that. If he falls to the sixth, yeah, that's a value pick. I mean, that's you're in the lottery pick, you know, where you're just kind of tossing cards at the wall and seeing what sticks. If a guy like Jennings was starting experience at Alabama um, and production – agreed at a lower level than a bunch of other guys is still there. That's a very safe six round pick, right? You, you just, you're happy you get that guy. So I'm glad you brought him up. Um, the other guys I have, strangely enough, uh, wide receiver still packed. Um, there's three guys here at wide receiver, I think are really notable. And quite frankly, almost all six of them that he has listed are really notable. And that's just the wide receiver class that we're in. Right. One's a local guy, Desmond Patton, played at WSU. Anthony Gordon had to throw to somebody for all those yards. And Des Patman is not getting enough love. He's 6'3", 6'4", well over 200 pounds, plays the boundary, good hands. He's not perfect as a receiver, but he is easily worth it in the sixth round. He shows, you know, he's got physical characteristics and the production numbers to back that up. No problem. Um, the second guy is Joe Reed, who is one of my favorite sort of Swiss Army knife guys who just keeps showing up on film despite maybe not being the best at his position. University of Virginia played with Bryce Perkins there. And boy, if you watch the Virginia film, it seems like every third or fourth throw, it's Joe Reed making just a gutty catch over the middle to convert a third down to a first, um, making a nice boundary catch to, to keep a drive alive and stop the clock. Like he's just very, very good. He started to rise of late, and I mean really within the last two weeks. Before that, he was in the mid-200s, which means maybe draftable, right? There's 250-something picks in the draft. You'd see Joe Reed at 260, 240, which means kind of like eh, UDFA territory. He's sort of solidly sliding up to the top of the sixth, bottom of the fifth-round territory, and I think that's right given his talent. And the last guy I want to talk about is James Prochet from SMU. This all this guy does is catch footballs like he probably has the best hands in the draft. And I'm not kidding. Really? I mean, first rounder. Yeah. Go watch his tape. He is sticky with the mitts. He will catch everything. Now, physically, I got to see him at the senior bowl. He's not amazingly gifted, he's not super tall. He's not, you know, super well built. Like he's solid. He reminds me a lot of Golden Tate for instance, right? Yeah, 5'11", 200, that kind of fits right. that golden tape. Not going to blow you away physically, but boy, when he goes out on the football field, all he does is make plays. And James Prochet played with a couple of different quarterbacks at his time at SMU and just produced day in, day out. And he makes some crazy catches every game. So not a lot of people talking about him, but again, you get that guy in the sixth, it's a tremendous value. He's going to come in, slot in as... With the Seahawks, I'd say he'd start at no worth in their fourth 
after camp, if they have a camp, like I would say he's their fourth wide receiver right out of the gate as a rookie. Wow. And pretty easily could probably become their third because he's just that guy. He's sort of unflappable. So some great value in the wide receiver. And then he's got DJ Dallas, who's a guy that I actually just did the workup on last night out of Miami, who is just another football player who played on a not great team. Mm. I don't know what it is about Florida, you know, state of Florida and offensive lines like Florida's (laughs) offensive line was okay. Florida States was terrible and Miami's might have been worse. And DJ Dallas makes a bunch of plays despite that, right? Their offense was not tremendous. Their offensive line was not tremendous, but it really makes you wonder like what's in the tank for a guy like DJ Dallas. And I just get this sneaky feeling he's going to be a really good pro as a sort of running back two for somebody for a long time. If you get that in the sixth round, you won. Well, moving on to the seventh round. And at this point, finding impact guys is going to be tough, but special teams, I, I do feel like there's guys here who could make an impact on special teams. Tanner Muse is a guy he listed at linebacker. He played safety for primarily for Clemson, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, a guy with a ton of speed, as I was watching uh, running back tape of J.K. Dobbins uh, tear up Clemson (laughs) for some big runs. I saw Tanner Muse running J.K. Dobbins down from behind, and uh, it was pretty impressive. Yeah, Tanner Muse is, is a great call here. Um, might go a hair before this, but I could see him being here. Um, he's the quote unquote other safety at Clemson. His running mate will be drafted much higher than he was. But uh, Tanner Muse, I watched at the combine. Actually, I'd seen him on tape a couple times and he moved at the combine more fluidly than I thought. I thought I'm going to have to go back because with his size, he could play inside linebacker. I really feel like that. He's a good runner, good tackler. His eyes are pretty good. He's not a great pass defender, um, but as an inside linebacker, which is where Rob has him listed here, uh, I think he's got great value. And again, a guy like you said, come with size, speed. You're looking for height, weight, speed guys in the late rounds who can contribute on special teams. That Tanner Muse to a T. And I think you might actually be getting a little bit more out of him than that. And then he's got two guys listed again at, oh, what was that category where there's a lot of players? (laughs) Wide receiver. Oh, right. Wide receiver. <laughs> yeah. So Darnell Mooney from Tulane is uh, a lot of people are talking about KJ Hamler in the sort of late second, early third round territory, the wide receiver from Penn state who is just lightning quick and can open the top on a defense like nobody's business. Um, Darnell Mooney is that guy. He's sort of KJ Hamler light played mm-hmm. in Tulane. He is the speed guy. He is also very slight. He's about five ten. He's maybe 170 if he's lucky, but he keeps making plays because he is so damn fast. Um, And then the other one that he has listed there, which I thought was really interesting, is Freddie Swain. So I ended up watching a bunch of Florida games this year, mostly with defensive players playing against Florida. And Freddie Swain had some games, man. He had games where he just took over and it was like, who is this guy? And I found out he was draft eligible and I was like, well, I haven't heard his name. Again, a guy like Prochet that's not going to blow you away at all physically, not super big, not super thick, um, not terribly physical, but just knows how to play wide receiver, knows how to get open, knows how to find a spot in zone, pretty reliable hands. Um, I, you know, just a guy you could use on a football team. And then my my favorite that he has tucked in here, that very player that very few people talk about who I love to death is Charlie Werner at tight end out of Georgia. And the reason I found Charlie Werner was because I was watching edge rushers before I went to the senior bowl. And I watched a lot of the top edge rushers and I would watch them play Georgia because Georgia has a good offensive line. In fact, they have two tackles that are going to get drafted fairly highly. 
in this draft. So you always want to watch an edge rusher against quality competition. And strangely enough, the guy that gave most of those top edge rushers the hardest time was this freaking tight end from Georgia. And I was like, that guy's number's 80. What? Who? He's not an offensive line. Who is this guy? I looked him up. It's Charlie Warner. And I started to go back to 2018 tape, and he was doing the same thing last year with some of the top edge rushers out of the SEC. He really locks down top end to edge rushers. And I thought, any tight end that can do that, like, reliably is really worth it. So I made a point of watching him at the combine to see if he could move and catch because Georgia didn't really use him that way. Um, despite having a quarterback that's going to get drafted, Jake from, um, they didn't throw to the tight end very much. And there are, there are programs like that. Um, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan doesn't throw to his tight end very much. Um, famously, you know, the Iowa tight ends don't get thrown to a ton and right. they turned out to be okay. Yeah. I don't want to talk about um, Iowa tight ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That's a sore spot for both of us. Um, but Charlie Werner moved pretty well at the combine, looked pretty fluid catching the ball. And I thought maybe there's more to his game. And he was just a little bit limited by his offensive system. And regardless of whether or not he is, you get one of the best blocking tight ends in the draft. And you're going to pick him up for peanuts, maybe a seventh round pick, maybe UDFA. Charlie Werner is a, is a steal. He's a guy that's going to, you know, lug it out in the league for six, seven years, might get a break depending on somebody sort of finding him as an offensive coordinator and throwing him some balls. Um, but Werner is so, so solid picking up edge rushers in blocking. It's it's ridiculous. EJ, you have me sold. I have my new draft crush, and it's Charlie Werner. I got that I, I had no idea going into this conversation I was going to come away loving, but uh, I, you, you've got me sold on this pick now. Yeah, and he could fit. Like, the Hawks are... Not big on flashy tight ends. They tend to find those guys who are UDFAs or mid-round picks who are sort of fan favorites. I hate to use the word gritty, but, you know, they come in, they just churn it sort of higher than their draft compensation level. And Seattle seems to fall in love with them. And Warner could absolutely be one of those guys. I love it. Well, EJ, I really want to thank you for coming on and breaking down the Seahawks draft board and guys that we could potentially see get picked by the Seahawks coming up this week and uh, if people want to check out your work i know they can check out windy city gridiron but you've got some other stuff that you're working on too what uh, where can people go to find it absolutely it's going to be a huge week uh a lot of stuff showing up on windy city gridiron which is the bears channel on sb nation but also uh my new venture bootleg football and the bootleg football podcast so it's a youtube site it's also a podcast which you can find on all the major outlets my partner in crime on that is brett Coleman of the film room fame off youtube and we just got cleared for youtube live so we're going to be doing some live casts uh, probably start out Wednesday night, do a little pre-draft Thursday, maybe a little post-draft Thursday and the same thing on Friday, maybe a wrap up on Saturday or Sunday. So we're going to have a ton of content coming out, but you can check it out. Search bootleg football podcast on any outlet you get your podcast on, or just go to YouTube and type in bootleg football podcast. Outstanding. EJ, want to thank you once again for coming back on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, sounds like we might be doing a couple of things together during the draft, which would be super fun. Really enjoy it. Uh, again, it is my quote unquote local team and always fun to talk about John Schneider, who is a draft wizard. There you go. An extra large show leading up to Thursday's draft. And we're going to have more for you throughout the week. 
Also going to have more throughout the draft as I've been lining up people who I've been talking to over the last few months. We're going to try and get to come on during the draft as the Seahawks are making the picks and try and get you some quick reaction shows as soon as the picks are made so you can start to get an idea of how you feel about any particular picks right away. Subscribe to the show, sbnation.com slash NFL podcast so you can get those in your podcast feed quickly and stay tuned to fieldgoals.com because we're going to be bringing you content there throughout the draft. Stay tuned right here. More to come. And until then, go Hawks.